There are tons of different ways to analyze this beautiful game. There are more ways than ever, actually. A lot of them seriously sophisticated. I'm going to challenge you with the simplest way possible. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. The Penguins are finishing up, as is the rest of the NHL, the three-day holiday break today. They'll be back in action tomorrow night against the Islanders in Elmont, New York, after which they've got a couple of back-to-backers here in Pittsburgh over the weekend against the Blues and those same Islanders. There is no longer, after this big chunk of the season's already played out, any secret to how this team needs to perform, and there's no secret to analyzing it. I'm going to ask you a question. Forget all of the other metrics. Forget the shots on goal, the basic stuff, to the really crazy, hyper-advanced, multi-syllabical acronym, geeky stats, and everything else. And just ask yourself this. Through 10 minutes... And no more. Through 10 minutes of watching this team play ice hockey on a given night, can you tell whether or not they're going to come out of there with a point? Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Now, are they always going to prevail? No, that's why I said point rather than a win. Does that mean they won't come through with it? Later on in the game, the way they did the other night in Ottawa, where they stunk for 40 and looked unbelievably awesome for the final 20 and change? No, but again, that's why I said point and not victory. You can see how they're supposed to do it. And you can feel that they're doing it without looking at a single number in any direction. And the reason for that is this. The effort, the extra energy that they invest into the hockey process almost always happens inside their own zone. They'll be diving and sliding and shoving people around and getting under their sticks and getting in their faces, keeping them out of the box, cleaning up the rebounds, cleaning up occasionally even the bodies from the front of the net making the one simple smart play to bank the puck off the window to get it out of the zone and then reset. They do all of these things, and they do them right from the drop of the puck, and you never have to wonder whether or not they've arrived with sufficient focus. Underlining that word again, focus on not only that they want to win, but also how they need to win. Why am I leaving the offense out of this when very clearly when the Penguins are at their best, they're also forechecking and making smart plays inside the offensive zone and everything else? Because to me, the offense follows the defense with this group. If they're applying that on the back end, you'd better believe, given their natural tendencies, that they're going to do it on the front end. Think of it this way. If they're going to defend on the back end, 
like, oh, say, Marcus Pedersen, then they're going to attack on the front end like, oh, say, Sidney Crosby. The latter part for most of these guys, but especially the top sixers, comes naturally. They don't even have to think about it. They don't have to sit there on the bench and say, man, I'm going to give it all I have to try to score a goal on this next shift. They were born doing that. That's the fun part. So when you've seen this, because I'm going to keep poking you here, whether it's been, let's say, that game in Los Angeles a few weeks ago where Magnus Helberg was starting, and the Penguins, of course, most of them can't know what they're going to get out of Helberg. They can say all the nice things that they want, but a lot of them were in L.A. last year when the Kings absolutely annihilated them. You might recall that 6 to nothing. Farce, really. It should have been way worse than six to nothing. So they're, they're seeing an opponent that they respect. Perfect storm. They're on the road. They're seeing younger guys who can fly all over the rink. They're seeing just enough older guys who they admire. You know, Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty, etc. And they go, whoa, we really need to defend. And then they do it and you see it. Again, for the first five, ten minutes, and you say, wow, they're, they're in this. And then they stay in it because they keep with the same approach. You saw it already just this season against the Avalanche, against the Golden Knights, against some of the better teams in hockey. So where am I headed here? Because you're going to see something tomorrow night over the first five, ten minutes where you're going to go, eh, this doesn't look like that because it won't look like that because they're going to be looking across the rink at the Islanders, a team that they've always seen as being either their equals or their inferiors, even though the Islanders tend to win the lion's share of the matchups that matter between these franchises. But they're not going to see a team that scares them offensively. I mean, you can say, hey, Matt Barzell's a really nice player, but you're not going to be scared of the Islanders. So what you'll get is a whole lot more of what you saw the first two periods in Ottawa. And you're going to go, wow, seriously, can't this team blah, 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 blah. Now, if the Penguins proceed to just go ahead and beat the Islanders anyway, it'll be something that kind of covers the warts. Only the people who are coaching the team and running the team will see and know the difference. One of these days, my friends, maybe... Or maybe not, for all I know. You're going to see this team apply itself evenly to every opponent they face. I don't know how Mike Sullivan's going to go about getting that through the collective head of this team. I don't know that any head coach anywhere could, if it isn't someone of uh, Sully's voice and reputation. But understand, this is the problem. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Matt. It's kind of funny that he seems to be taking uh, the other direction toward addressing what I did in the opening segment. He says, hey, DK, Why is it that teams will play the same way 
historically against the Penguins or vice versa in spite of coaching and personnel changes and even just the passage of time. Over the years, you would think there would be some change, right? It's uncanny how this happens in hockey and maybe more than in any other sport. Matt, I love that you brought this up because I'm I'm really two-faced on this topic at times. I will say to people who say, yeah, we never win in that building or yeah, we never beat that team. I'll say, you know, Jerry Seinfeld once had a skit in which he described rooting for a sports franchise as rooting for laundry. Because there's people in that laundry. And even when those people change sides or whatever, we're still rooting for the same laundry. And that's all it is in most cases. That's all it is that doesn't change. The laundry and the venue. And yet, I can say something like, Man, the Flyers will always come at you aggressively with their penalty kill. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about as a longtime hockey fan, right? You'll see how the Flyers spread their box and go at you. And you'll also recall that the Penguins forever and ever and ever and ever have had trouble with that. It's amazing to me, and I've said this many times, that more of the Penguins' opponents historically, going back decades, don't attack the Penguins' power play the way the Flyers have over the years. We'll say something similar about how the Bruins always shoot the puck from anywhere. Notice that? How often have either of these teams, the Flyers or Bruins, changed coaches over the years? Doesn't matter. Still the same tendencies. How about all of the grotesque flaws with the franchise in general in Edmonton. They never seem to change, do they? They never seem to recognize that, my goodness, if they only they got themselves a handful, even a couple of really good defensive players, they'd be just fine. No, the Oilers just keep going and searching for new toys to add to the toys they already have. The list is close to endless on this count. And if you're waiting for me to offer any kind of explanation or rationale for this, I don't have it. I just don't. Maybe it's that, let's say, for example, a team like the Flyers, even when they'll occasionally lose their way as they did, oddly enough, under Ron Hextall, who was part of those tougher Flyers teams, they always find a way to boomerang back, meaning back to the same types of personalities. So when they were looking for a new front office figurehead this past winter, who do they go and get? Well, Keith Jones, of course, because Keith Jones is a flyer. He's always been a flyer. Even when he played for other teams, he was a flyer. And what's funny, I try to think of exceptions to what we're talking about here, and they are so rare, so rare. In the Penguins' own history, I can only think of when Kevin Constantine came along as head coach in the post-Mario Part 1 era. And he tried to turn them into just this defensive monster. And it only held up for a couple of years. And then by the time he was being hung in effigy in his own locker room, that was the end of that. And the Penguins went back to being who they've always been. In modern hockey, the only example I can think of that runs to the contrary are the Devils. I mean... You probably beat me to that one. The Devils are 
entertaining, fast. They're flying all over the rink, amazing transitions. They're not all that great defensively, and they're definitely not great in goal, which is only the 180-degree opposite of what the Devils have been for the better part of their existence, including for all three of their Stanley Cups. But good luck finding others. There aren't many. Weird, huh? I appreciate the question. One of the best I've ever gotten on this program. I appreciate everybody listening to it, and we're going to have another one tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.